You're listening to the Your Queer Story podcast, the podcast that inspires peace, love, and radicalism, led by your favorite hosts, Evan Jones and Paul Hobbs. Trigger warning. Our content covers centuries of LGBTQ plus stories, and occasionally we may use outdated language or cover topics that include violence, assault, homophobia, transphobia, as well as other injustices against marginalized communities. Make sure you subscribe and review wherever you are listening, and be sure to follow us on all social media at Your Queer Story. And if you want exclusive content, join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. You're here, now let's get queer. Hello, today's podcast is brought to you by audible.com. Audible is awesome. I use it all the time. I'm actually currently listening to The Grapes of Wrath by John Steinbeck. If I have to listen to Evan talk about Audible one more time, I'm going to kill him. But it really actually is a great resource. It's (laughs) it's fantastic. Whatever you're doing, are you driving? Are you at work? Are you jogging? You can listen to Audible. And you can actually get a free 30-day trial and audiobook download by going to audibletrial.com slash queer. The conference was great, so um, by the time this episode drops, I'll actually have been back from the Transgender Wellness Conference in Philly for about two weeks, but when we're recording right now, I just got back. It was really great. Um, There's a ton of seminars. I would recommend it for any person that's in the queer community. You don't necessarily have to be trans. There's just so many good workshops on everything. There was like... I mean, of course, there's stuff for partners. There is stuff on, on um, uh, you know, there's a lot of things for non-binary individuals. There's things for trans people. There's things for female to male transgender people, female, uh, male to female transgender individuals. There's a bunch, like everybody who's somebody in the trans community for the most part was there. So that was cool. Uh, especially, well, a lot of trans guys. I didn't see, there weren't a lot of uh, trans women that were like, Big names, I guess you would say. So no, Caitlyn Jenner or oh, no. Amanda Lepore or anybody like no, that. No, no, it's like you know Sandra Mock, not Sandra Mock. Um, that's a person that I Laverne knew Cox. for no, Laverne no. Cox. You know, um, so there was you know there was a, but there was a lot you know there was some decent representation and the workshops were really good. There was actually a they had a lot of things for people of faith and they had a um, a. That's they had a what you call it um so they had these these afternoon meetings for people of faith could come together but on the last day they had one for atheist and non-theist oh wow that's interesting yeah it was really nice did it they was, have any um like uh AA things or anything like yes that there was an AA meeting every afternoon so there was recovery meetings and it was really they said AA but it was we just did like a general 12-step format yeah so, um, so it didn't matter if you were in AA or not, as long as if you were in recovery and you needed a meeting, there was something there every week or every day. So that was nice. So where can people find more information about this conference at? So if you go to, I mean, you just Google Philly Trans Conference. Um, it's every single year. The conference is free. The only thing, of course, you would have to take care of is getting there and where you stay. There's a lot of, we stayed in an Airbnb in the area. It was really good. Um, I would only, my only thing is like parking. 
you know, either go with a group of people or take a train or something. There's good transportation around. Like there's a subway, there's buses, there's all kinds of public transportation. Don't drive your car into Philly. It's it's incredibly expensive to park there. But food is great. The area is great. There's so much to do. Like if you love history, especially if you love art, like if you love good food, those are the three things in Philly that I suggest. Okay, so it's a free conference. Yep. So how, because you don't have to register or anything, mm-hmm. um, how do they ensure that only people that they want in there are in there. Well, I mean, the conference is open to everyone. So uh, if someone is creating a problem, there is a security team so they could get them out of there. They don't vet people. You you sign up online or you can sign up the day of. Like, you can go there and sign up. You sign up online. They only ask a few basic questions. They do ask you how you identify. But there's also professional tracks. So there was a lot of people that were there in professional communities that just wanted to know better how to deal with transgender non-binary individuals employees and stuff yeah like employees that. yeah like healthcare providers any business that yeah. wanted to just have some awareness on lgbtq issues uh could send someone there so there's a professional track so it's not like there was a whole it wasn't just trans individuals there's a lot of cisgender individuals but um but it's all about education and just learning exactly how to better um, be an ally and support the community basically. exactly the only two things that I was surprised at well no one I was surprised there was not a seminar for unsupportive family there was there was that, one that thing was surprising. that was very surprising maybe to you me can host that maybe I will now there was one thing for culturally conservative families but that was um, that was for people of color uh, not that you couldn't go but it, it dealt with those issues and um that was the only thing that I saw there. Yeah. There, so otherwise, there was nothing for unsupportive family, which I was very surprised in that kind of conference. And there was nothing for queer history. There was one uh, woman who spoke about uh, two-spirit individuals and kind of gave, obviously, a history of Native American, um, you know, Native American culture and history with that. But there was nothing about, like, our history. I think that's important. History is important. Maybe we could have a booth next year. Maybe we could have a booth. All things that we should try to do next year. Absolutely. But yeah, it was a really great conference. I would definitely suggest it for any queer individual. But what were you doing while I was gone? This weekend, well, actually you were gone for longer than a weekend. I worked a lot on our social media, mainly on Pinterest and Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been pinning a lot of queer positive uh, information, queer, positive things. I've done a few funny boards. You know, we have like a little food recipe board just for people who want something to eat. Because uh, Pinterest. Because guess what? Gay people eat too. No, we not. Don't. I, I, some of us don't, but you should. <laughs> <laughs> I did. <laughs> You're not. Um, I did include a little disclaimer that not all recipes are bottom friendly because there are a lot of cheese recipes on there. And yeah, and it doesn't always go so well. Uh, but mostly just working on our social media, trying to get new, uh, followers and listeners and responding to people who are asking for help and assistance or, um, the best thing I got to do so far was somebody messaged us and asked, how do I come out to my parents? I'm ready to come out. What should I do? Yeah. That was really nice for me. I got to help her. Um, she hasn't messaged me back since, but she is still active on Instagram. So I'm assuming everything went good. Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah, I've just, I've spent a lot of time 
working on uh, the podcast and stuff. So. Yeah. So Wait, so we're basically on every form of social media now. Like, <laughs> literally. Literally. Tumblr, Pinterest, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. And we're even coming to YouTube. Oh, yeah. We're coming to YouTube. So, like, <laughs> whatever your social media you like, and everything is a little different. So, it's not like you're going to get one thing across the board, like some people do, where they just, yes, well, yes, there will be some posts that cross over, you know, but... But especially when we're dropping our episodes, we let everybody know when yep. our episodes drop. Exactly. But there's just different things. Like our Instagram has stories of people in the queer community, uh, queer comedian, queer community, <laughs> even now. If you're a queer comedian, it's we can use this story. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> oh, I'd love to have a queer comedian. Um, there's, you know, and then our Pinterest has all these different boards. There's a board for each episode that we do. And then, like Paul said, there's a board on food. There's boards on music. and I and have books. things like, uh, we have things like... Um, queer Halloween costumes. So if you want ideas for, you know, your significant other and you, um, we have makeup tips. We have drag queens. We have, uh, the board for every episode has links to different articles if you want more information. So the yeah. Marjorie Johnson will link to all different websites where you can learn more. Um, and the Twitter, we have a lot of memes and GIFs and it's yeah, just, just Twitter, Twitter thing. If you want to reach out to us, Twitter will be the best way because you yeah. can add us, you can direct message us. On Facebook, we post more business-related information. We have our support group. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have our queer uh, history, uh, this day in queer history, which we do about once a week. We'll drop a a day in history that you know not you this you. I don't think it's yet been related to our podcast, so it's not like it's not about whatever episode. It's just a, this day in queer history, you know. So we have that on there. But like Paul said, a lot about our business. So if you need, to, if you want to know stats or whatever, yeah. And then our Tumblr. I don't know what. Um, I haven't been as active on Tumblr because I've gotten a lot of angry people on there. <laughs> <laughs> on Tumblr, what? <laughs> I, I was trying to... Um, somebody made a message, a post about how they were so angry and blah, blah, blah. So I just reached out to them and I was like, hey, you know, if you ever need anything, like, we're here to help. And I signed it with my name because I thought that was more personal. Yeah. You know, I did like Dash Paul because mm-hmm. I thought, you know, if this is a business messaging you and that person signs their name on it, that's kind of personal and kind of yeah. cool. And then they reblogged that, and they were like, what kind of a loser do you have to be to reblog this and blah, blah, I didn't ask for your fucking opinion. So I was like, all right, well. So it's a happy place. <laughs> <laughs> so Tumblr, my idea behind Tumblr was to use hashtag gays good and share um, LGBT positive, LGBTQ plus positive posts, you know, yeah. maybe it's some Tumblr guy talking about how him and his boyfriend have been together for 10 years or just anything happy and yeah. <laughs> I wasn't able to find much happiness on Tumblr so uh, <laughs> it might not be the space for us but it, we'll see it's on the back burner right now but I'll, yeah. I'll, we'll come up with something for it eventually yeah um, but yeah, yeah. and so, if you just like to read our blog is live on yourqueerstory.com and we also will pe- we post links on our different social media so we've been we're slowly getting that up and running but we've got a couple articles out there on coming out I have one about my transition and how I just take it a day at a time so little things I'm, I have another one that's saved that I'm about to publish about dealing with toxic family oh, that's nice. so that's a fun one which um, by the way before you publish it talk to me because I'm going to teach you what to do so okay nice. yeah tell me what to do <laughs> So anyways, so we have different things. So like, yeah, we're all over the place. Whatever you need, we're here for you. <laughs> yeah, all right. You're, we're even going to be in your pantry pretty soon. Your queerstery soup. You're, yeah. And it's just going to be all... <laughs> it's our little faces and noodles. Yeah, that just oh, that would be so much fun. 
You can eat us up. Yum, yum, yum. <laughs> Anyways, all right. So, um, and just remember, guys, you can find us. Oh, my God. I think we talked about we're on Spotify now. So you can find us on any um, anywhere you get your podcasts. Doesn't matter. You get your podcasts on uh, Stitcher, um, iTunes, Google Play. Google Podcasts. Google Podcasts. Spotify. Spotify. <laughs> doesn't matter. What do, Tune where do you, in. Exactly. Listen FM. Literally, you just look it up and I look guarantee you'll find it. We're us. there. We're always free for you because we want to get this out there. Um, if you do want to uh, su- subscribe or donate, if you believe in getting queer history out there, we do have a Patreon page that is... Are we live yet? No. <laughs> We're not live. We, were, are, we will have a Patreon page soon that's live. Uh, and all of this goes 100% into getting the podcast and spreading queer history it does not go into our pockets not at least no yeah. our podcasts are our podcasts our pockets are actually emptying rapidly yes. so <laughs> for our podcasts we have to purchase music we have to pay for uh the website. web hosting our podcast episodes are actually on a dedicated media streaming website so that costs about 14 dollars every month which doesn't sound like much but when we're, you add it all up yeah so we're not making anything on this podcast yeah. um and our goal is to um, grow with our Patreon. So when that goes live, we'll have different tiers. You know, we'll have like a $1 a month donation, which is literally like so cheap and it would help us out a lot. Yeah. If we had 30 people paying $30, I mean $1 each a month, that's $30 a month. That'll pay for all of our hosting. Yeah. Um, and our goals are, um, we'll have different goals. So once we start making different numbers, for example, when we make like, $300 a month through Patreon. We're going to hire an audio engineer. So Yeah, for those of you complaining about our audio, <laughs> we know we're working on it, but again, like this is, you know, this is what we do in our free time, so with our, our own money. So, we're doing the best we yeah. can. So, we'll hire an audio engineer, then when we start hitting things like 500 a month, maybe mm-hmm. we'll start doing like a live video. We'll do our four episodes plus a live podcast every month through Facebook Live yeah. or something like that. So um, we're still hashing out the details, but once that goes live, every penny does help um, and will help us grow and produce better content for um, all of our listeners. Yeah. So anyways, so it's a lot about us, but we're just catching you all up on everything that's been happening. And uh, we hope that you will continue to like us at Your Queer Story at any of your social media, download our podcast, and share it with your friends. And your unsupportive family members, because maybe if they learn a little history, they wouldn't be so maybe, hateful. Maybe they'll come around. But today we are going to be talking about a very, very interesting character in history, Joseph Lobdell. Also known as? Lucy Ann Slater. And so we're going to start now with a, um, with a, with a, a excerpt from A Case of Sexual Perversion. Lucian Slater, alias Reverend Joseph Lobdell, was admitted to the Willard Asylum October 12th, 1880, aged 56, widow without occupation and a declared vagrant. Her voice was coarse and her features were masculine. She was dressed in male attire throughout and declared herself to be a man, giving herself the name Joseph Lobdell. A Methodist minister said she was married and had a wife living. She appeared in good physical health 
when admitted she was in a state of turbulent excitement, but was not confused and gave responsive answers to questions. Her excitement was of an erotic nature, and her sexual inclination was perverted. In passing to the ward, she embraced the female attendant in a lewd manner and came near overpowering her before she received assistance. Her conduct on the ward was characterized by the same lascivious conduct, and she made effort at various times to have sexual intercourse with her associates. So do we know if he was actually widowed when he was admitted, um, or are they just like, he was a widow because you had... We're going to talk a, a lot about the guy that wrote this. Um, well, not a lot. We're going to talk a good a good enough a bit about him, but he was known to uh, kind of make shit up. Um, oh, yeah, an no, anti-queer person making shit up. I never happens. Never, never once. Never, never in a million years. Exactly. Let me just make sure everything's going smooth. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, no, no, they never do. So the statement just read was the original paragraph of A Case of Sexual Perversion, which was written by Dr. P.M. Wise. The doctor was a sexologist who studied Joseph Lobdell during his incarceration at Willard Asylum. The case study would be widely read and sensationalized around the world as people became riveted by Joseph's story. In fact, this was the first research on a female-to-male individual that was published in an American medical journal, and it would play a pivotal role in how gender and sexuality would be treated by medical societies. But before we dive into the case study, let's find out a little more about Joseph Lobdell. Born in Westerloo, New York around 1829, we don't have a specific date of birth, Joe was given the birth name Lucy Ann. It is important that we know Joe's birth name, as there is much information published about him and much of it is written using only his birth name or frequently facilitating between his two names of Lucy and Joe. So whenever I was doing research, even with queer authors, it was either Lucy Ann Slater or Joseph Lobdell. Like I was surprised Michael Bronsky, the queer historian who writes A Queer History of the United States of America, you know, referred to Lobdell as Lucianne Slater, never, you know, only mentioned the name Lobdell in passing, or uh, Joseph Lobdell in passing. So, but, but it was like he lived two separate lives, and they're both fascinating. So, but... Um, in fact, Lobdell even wrote a short autobiography in 1855 titled Narrative of Lucy Ann Lobdell, the Female Huntress of Delaware and Sullivan Counties. Lobdell was the child of a lumberman and grew up in the woods, perfecting the sports of hunting, fishing, and trapping. He was also an avid reader, a violinist, and a bit of an intellectual, especially in an era where women were thought only as wives and mothers. Mothers and wives, that's all women were ever expected to That's all we've ever been good to. to. The uh, Christian college that I attended for four years as I was wasting my life, and I, I mean, I say Christian college loosely, I don't mean like some of the legit Christian colleges out there, I mean this was not even a real college, it was unaccredited. An unaccredited cult college that took money to offer no degree. Exactly, they gave you no degree. And um, here's why, because the one of the three uh, courses that I was allowed to take as a woman was marriage and motherhood. That was a course. You could, could get a degree in marriage and motherhood. Yes, you could get a four-year degree in marriage and motherhood. You could get a four-year degree as a teacher, again, unaccredited, so it didn't count. What, or you could get what, a, a two-year degree as a secretary. So was, the high school was accredited or no, no, right? My high school... Um, 
I was lucky because for the four years that I was in high school, we were accredited. That school has been around for almost 40 years, and that is the only four years that they were an accredited high school. And then they pulled it because they've the government was getting too interfering, and then and so they haven't been accredited oh, since. That's unfortunate. So, so yeah. the teachers who get a non-accredited degree go to teach mm-hmm. at the high school to teach non-accredited courses. Exactly. The, the only place that my teaching degree would have been valid or would be valid today is in any IFB, that's Independent Fundamental Baptist uh, Church, that has its own school. And a lot of them do, you know, but it's all just made up horse shit that they, you know. Which, you know, if you're living in the cult and you go to the college, the college should be free. Oh, no, because, no, no. No, the reason being because that's the only place you're allowed to use your degree. <laughs> you would think so, but no, no. I worked a full-time job in college and went to college and still, like... And didn't you say they, like, brainwashed you by, like, just making sure you were so... Um, uh, tired exhausted yeah. all the time so like you just like would put your you whole had no time it. you go to college all day so i i would wake up at five in the morning because we were required to wake up and do a daily devotion so you wake up in the morning you take your shower you get ready you do your devotion <laughs> what's the daily devotion uh that's reading and praying you know reading your bible and praying so read your bible and pray for for an hour go to breakfast be in class by eight from eight to 12 you have classes from 12 to one you have chapel where you listen to a um you listen to a sermon or whatever today. Is this Monday through Friday? This is Monday through Friday. From 1 to 2, you have lunch. From 2 to 10, you go to work, whatever full-time job you have. You come back, you do your homework that night, you get back up at 5 a.m. On the weekends, you get up at 6 a.m. because you get to sleep in an hour. Then you on Saturdays, we went to Chicago because we were right outside Chicago. Chicago, for all day long from... You know, from nine in the morning until 10 or 12 at night, depending. And you're out there trying to get people to come to church. Um, and then, and then sometimes we come back early because we would have an activity, you know, but for the most part, you're out in Chicago all day long. You get up at 4 a.m., you get on a bus, you go back to Chicago on Sunday. You pick up all these people that you met the day before, you bring them to church. You spend from eight in the morning until midnight at church, and then you're back up on Monday for classes. So you are exhausted and you don't have time to think properly and you're just trying to survive off of the few minutes that you get here and there with friends or you're supposed to date in the between there and you're supposed to find all... I don't know. (laughs) Literally your only time to date would be between the hours of like 10 to At lunch. In chapel and at lunch. So you sit next to each other at chapel and then you eat lunch together and then you run off. And then like about one Saturday a month you have an activity that you can go to. So you get to come back to the college campus at like 6 on those days. Days and then you have a well, like activity. a, a screened moving or movie. Yeah, or a screened movie of like a usually like a children's movie. There were very, there was only a few movies we were allowed to watch. So they I almost said the Lion in. King, but I'm assuming no, that absolutely one was not. Absolutely <laughs> you not. Said child's not movie. <laughs> not a li- a movie that's written by a homosexual. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, there was like some Bob Jones University movies, or actually the college made a lot of their own movies. Oh, I bet they were so good. They were awful. Yeah, yeah, they were so can good we that they were awful. Is there a way we can get them? <laughs> actually, I could because my father made most of them. Get them. <laughs> I want to publish them. I want to, like, get them, please. Yeah. So, yeah. So, th- those are the movies that we watched, whatever we made ourselves. And then we played games and, and whatever. Hey, Queerstians. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Your Queer Story. Audible is offering a free audiobook download with your free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I love Audible. I have had my subscription for over two years, and it is worth every single penny. I listen to it all the time. I hate to read, but I love listening to things while I work. 
Audible gives me the opportunity to listen to the best-selling books while I'm at my computer or driving and makes the day fly by. And the best part is that Audible offers a wide variety of queer-friendly books as well. So you can listen to anything from The Queer History of the United States by Michael Bronski to over 200 LGBTQ fantasy novels. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com queer. Again, that's audibletrial.com queer for your free audiobook. So yeah, I don't know where, where was all, oh yeah, that was all about the, so that was uh, at college earning your wife, your a marriage and motherhood degree. So four years of learning how to cook and sew. Could they <laughs> actually cook though, or was it like shitty like? No, no, they learned how to cook. Like learn like, like, like fucking pioneer woman style cooking. Like you learn how to make your own noodles. Oh wow. From scratch. You learn like, like how to cook from scratch and you learn how to sew like amazing. My sister's an amazing seamstress. My sister Deanna. And oh, wow. um, she always kind of, like had a love for it, but that definitely got um, like some extra help from that. That's pretty so, cool. Yeah. Dude. Anyways, <laughs> sometimes so back to Joseph. <laughs> sometime in the early 1850s, Joseph, still living as Lucy, married George Slater. Initially, their affair was exciting, though it seems Joe was more caught up in defying his father than in being with George. Later in life, Joe would deny he had ever been sexually attracted to a man, or especially his former husband. But the beginning was exciting and provided a formative experience for this self-proclaimed feminist. When Joe's father refused to allow him to marry, Joe stole away to the barn disguised in his brother's clothing. Remember, he's still living as a woman. He took one of his father's horses and ran away into the forest. While living in the woods and awaiting his lover, Joe encountered a peddler by the name of Talmadge. Talmadge was impressed by Joe's huntsmanship and wrote to a local paper. I must relate an adventure that I met with a few days since. As I was trudging along one afternoon in the town of Fremont, one of the border towns of Sullivan County, I was overtaken by what I, at first, supposed was a young man with a rifle on his shoulder. Being well pleased with the idea of having company through the woods, I turned round and said, Good afternoon, sir. Good afternoon, replied my new acquaintance but in a tone of voice that sounded rather peculiar. My suspicions were at once aroused, and to satisfy myself, I made some inquiries to, in regard to hunting, which were readily answered by the young lady whom I had thus encountered. So this was actually a big experience for Joe because it was the first time that he was ever mistook for a man. The... Um, so... <clears throat> so... I don't know. Is, this a, is it offensive to ask that like the first time somebody... Like, right, like, identified you as a man? Is that, mm. like... Oh, that was that was nice. No, it's not an offensive ass. Because I think, like, everyone's different. Everybody's trans journey is different. Mm -hmm. So some people know from a very young age that they are transgender, that they're in the wrong body, that they, you know, this is not the identity that they want or that, that they are. But a lot of people, myself included, and I'm probably a lot of it is because of my background, because I was so brainwashed and, and shoved into this box of gender conformity that I didn't know what I wanted until much longer. I didn't let myself know what mm -hmm. I wanted. So the first time that I was ex uh, identified as a man or mistaken for a man, it just felt right. It felt comfortable, you know? And Joe would write later that like it was exhilarating. Like he was very excited to be mistaken as a man and i'm assuming like um now we have so much information but especially back then like mm -hmm. when it was probably unheard of 
Yeah. Um, like, nobody probably even knew oh, that yeah. that was a thing. Like, that was probably... Well, cross it, it was probably, like, a switch turning on in his brain. Exactly. Well, there's like nothing a, out there. Oh. Okay, kind of moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's nothing out there. And also, it's not. you don't even see people cross-dressing because cross-dressing is illegal. You can be arrested right. for cross-dressing. Just wearing a man's clothing or a man wearing a woman's clothing, you can be arrested. So it's not like you have any role models. It's not like you have any person. That's not, again, like you said, it's not like today where I can get on YouTube and find you know 10 different, different trans guys and be like, okay, that's what I want. Right. You're just going off of what feels right for you. So the peddler that uh, Lobdell interacted with went on for some time about the about the encounter between him and Joe, and um, Joe spoke then about the first exhilaration of being mistook for a man. There was a, a whole long article about this, um, written quite extensively about the story of this peddler running into a um, a female hunter, which just rocked his world. Can you imagine? I can't believe it. Women hunting she since when? She wasn't at home sewing or cooking? No, no. <laughs> so the story catapulted Joe to national fame as it spread from one newspaper to the next. Joe went viral. Yes, he did. Everyone was fascinated by the female hunter of Delaware County. In fact, male hunters and trappers began to flood Joe's hunting grounds and made it increasingly difficult for Lobdell to find food. Along with the shortage in animal supply, Joe was treated as a spectacle and often ridiculed and insulted. Initially, he wrote that he didn't mind the visitors, but then things turned ugly. In his memoir, he states, After the piece was published in many different papers, some people were curious to see and hear me play the violin. I, of course, would not refuse so trifling a request, but when the story began to be noised around, I found that I was subjected to the insults of wicked persons when I was traveling or away from home. Of course. So these people were like stalking him. Basically. Basically just to like make fun of him. for being I think a- I think it was a, a combination. I think there were some people that were fascinated and um, there were probably, I'm sure there were some men there that th- thought they were going to find themselves a wife. Oh my God. Yeah. I guarantee you every Absolutely. man was like, oh, this female hunter, I'm about to get lucky. Yeah. And oh well, yeah. Well, I don't know if back then they thought about getting lucky or like, I got to get a wife and then I can get lucky. Yeah. Because of right. the religion of the time. Yeah. I, I don't know. Rape was still pretty prevalent. Oh well, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> so. But um, but then there were people that I'm sure felt threatened in their masculinity. Because oh, there so they was had a, to go there and yeah, find out that this woman, or this perceived woman, per- perceived yeah. woman, um, was so much better than them. In exactly. Their life. Like no, I, uh, no, this ain't a woman's place. We'll come here. We'll, we'll show her how we do things out here. And then she's got like twenty times the amount of stuff <laughs> that they have. Exactly. <laughs> so Joe and George Slater eventually married, but Lobdell continued to pursue his love of hunting and being in the outdoors. Uh, his marriage to George soon soured as Slater was abusive. Some counts state that Slater abandoned George, others state that Joe left for his safety. From Lobdell's writing, we can only tell that they separated when Joe realized he was pregnant. He returned home to his father during the pregnancy, but once the child, a little girl named Helen, was born, George reached out and asked that the two reconcile. However, Joe had tasted freedom, he had seen a life that could be, and he promptly turned down Slater's request. This was another pivotal moment in the life of Joseph Lobdell, and he wrote of this time. After I received Mr. Slater's letter, I wrote a reply, stating to him that he might come and see his child, but, at the conclusion, said that I did not believe he would see me again, for I had made up my mind to leave after reading his letter, and as I had several reasons for leaving home, of which I shall treat on, I at once will state them. First, my father was lame, and in consequence, I had worked indoors and out, and as hard times were crowding upon us, 
I made up my mind to dress in men's attire to seek labor, as I was used to men's work. And as I might work harder at housework and get only a dollar per week, and I was capable of doing, men, doing men's work and getting men's wages, I resolved to try, after hearing that Mr. Slater was coming, to get work away among strangers. I accordingly got up one morning, and it seemed as if I must got, go that day. I did not dare to tell our folds my calculations, for I knew that they would say I was crazy and tie me up, perhaps. So I went down. So I went upstairs, saying I was going to dress and go a-hunting as I was accustomed to. I hurried and put on a suit of clothes, and then my hunting suit outside. When I came downstairs, Mother came toward me and was going to take hold of me to see what made me look so thickly dressed. I saw her moved and stepped outdoors, saying that I must hurry as I was getting later. I drove the cow up before I left and then hurried to the mountain. I could not even kiss my little Helen, nor tell her how her mother was going to seek employment to get a little spot to live and earn something for her as she grew up. So I stole away with a heavy heart, for I knew that I was going among strangers who did not know my circumstances or see my heart so broken and know its struggles. As I was walking down to Hankins Depot, I met one of our nearest neighbors. He called to me and asked me what I was going. I made no reply, but walked on and I had gone but a few yards when I heard him say, there goes the female hunter. So that, yeah, so this is Joe leaving, you know, because his husband is coming back. And so, like, there's a lot, there was a lot of abuse. There was mental abuse, there was physical abuse. You can read about it, like I said, in the narrative of uh, Lucy Ann Slater, the female huntress of Delaware County, Delaware and Sullivan counties, um, which we'll post a link. I could only find half of the book. It's online, but it was only half of it. It's the last half. So we don't have a lot about uh, Joe's early life. It does seem, he says that in this, that his father was lame. So I think his father was injured. And that mm-hmm. might have been part of the reason why Joe went out into the woods and and like and started doing men's work. So right, yeah. If his father couldn't provide for them, they needed to eat somehow. So Exactly. So he started, you know, hunting and, and, and doing the work outside. He does mention, well, no, he doesn't mention, but perhaps maybe his father was hurt in an accident after he had already kind of been with Joe outside, teaching him some things, because Mm -hmm. he had to have learned somehow, right? Yeah, yeah, he had to. I mean, and he could have taught himself. You never know. Yeah, that's that's very true. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, his father was a lumberman for several years. So maybe he got hurt during work. Exactly. By this time, you know, by the time Joe, so Joe gets married gets pregnant and leaves his abusive husband for his own and him and his child's safety and goes back and lives with his parents. So it could have been, you know, any time through there. I mean, his father's older now. He could have been injured later on in life. We don't know. Um, it just talks about how his mother and father are there. And and, uh, and so but he's running away because his... his right. if, and the fucked up thing is that if he would have been there when the husband came mm-hmm. back, they probably would have been forced back together by they society absolutely and the parents. Exactly. Oh no, that's your husband. You have a kid together. You have to be with him. This is the mid eighteen hundreds. You don't get divorced. Right. Joe and Joe would have had no say in it either. Joe would have had to. Right, because he was a perceived woman. So yes. His position would have been go back to your husband and take yeah. care of him. If you're getting hit, it's your fault. Exactly. Yeah, and and it's interesting. The reason that Slater found out about Joe is where what where Joe had fled to, which I mean he probably would if he just thought a little bit, would have known that Joe went back to his home. But so this this interaction with the peddler had happened several years earlier, but the peddler didn't put it into the newspaper until later. Mm. So he wrote in one day to the newspaper about an interesting encounter he had once while he was out hunting. And then George Slater read that, knew it was his wife, right. and um and then and reached out to Joe through that. He that's how he got Joe's contact information to reach out and say 
hey, um, and he puts in there that like Joe Slater, which I have it actually right here. Um, let me just read it for you real quick. On the, um, I wasn't gonna put it in here, but I figure out, figure, Miss Lucia Lobdale, as you call yourself, but which is Slater truly, but I address you as you call yourself to please you. In truth, I wish it were as it once was, peace and harmony. Just at a fucking abuser, right? Then I, then I took comfort in my home and in your presence, but now you perhaps will not agree with me. Let that be as it may. I will say that I am well and hope these few lines will find you enjoying the same lesson. If you could but know the love, lonely hours that I spend in Westerloo, you would have some words of comfort to send me. Aunt Becky is in this place and said that you were sick. Sorry I was to hear that, but I hope that you will gain your health soon. This news I have just heard, but how long you have been ill, I did not hear. I wish you would write as soon as you get this, and let me know how you and that dear little child are. I long to see it once more, and if I hear favorable news from you, I will be at your place soon. But if you talk as you, if you would like to see the best friend you have in the world, you must say something favorable to me. For I do not wish to come and go to any place unless I am wanted. You must give my best wishes to your parents and brother and sister and all inquiring friends. Tell them that I wish to see them all. Now I will close and say that I bid you do as you see best for yourself. You are capable of doing your own business and I hope you will always not forget your best friend, George W. Slater. So that was in the newspaper? No, this was George writing back to Oh, Lucy. I was like, he, if he publishes no. in the newspaper, no. that's like true psychopathic. If he, <laughs> no. This is on the national newspaper. <laughs> no, no, he wrote that. And then Lucy put that in her narrative, or Joe, Lucy mm. put that in their narrative um, and says that they their stomach turned at the thought of George referring to themselves as best friend. It's true psychopathic nature. Like, right? You're abusing this person. Exactly. And you're like, well, remember all those good times we had? <laughs> uh, no, no, I don't actually. So, over the next eight years, Joe lived in the forest, wandering about, earning a living, and returning only to visit his daughter briefly and leave his mother money to care for his child. For a good portion of this time, Joe camped with the Native Americans of northern Minnesota, always presenting and living as a man. I don't know what tribes they are. Joe writes about living with the Native Americans, and um, that's all I have. But he did, he spent most of his time living among them as a man. That's incredible. I know. His writing and his memoirs speak of the great injustice he saw in the treatment of women. He was disgusted by a female's place in the home and wrote of the importance in equal pay and opportunity. Because of Joe's strong stance on feminist issues, some writers through the years have tried to paint Lobdell as simply a lesbian who wanted to find the best way to live freely in a man's world. However, his insistence on his gender in later years defies this. We must be careful not to mistake orientation for gender or political stance as gender identification. Right. If he had never... The thing is, later in his life, he was very adamant, no, I'm a man. Yeah, regardless of what the consequences were, he did not change that he was a man. Right. He spent the last years of his life in an institution because he would not back down. Exactly. And um, while it is hard to say someone's um, identification... He yeah. is very adamant. He, because he's not alive today, we can't really do as much research. But the fact that he's so adamant in yeah. saying that he is a male, it, it really presents him as a trans man. Yeah, it does. And I think that's what, and like, that's what one historian 
had written. That's what a couple historians have written. They they said that if uh, if Lucy Ann Slater was a die today, she probably would have identified as a trans man. That's an actual statement that I took from the encyclopedia. That's not my words. And um, but then, like I said, there's there's historians like Michael Bronsky who only referred to Joe as Lucy Ann Slater. And then there's um, there's Emily Skidmore who wrote the book True Sex that classifies Joseph Lobdell only as a trans man. And we don't know because with today's freedom, we have so many choices. Maybe he would have been non-binary. Maybe exactly. he was would have identified as trans. Maybe he would have just identified as a butch lesbian. We don't know. We're only going to buy what he asked. He asked people to call him Joe. He told people that he was a man. And so we take his words. And that's, I mean, that's what you do with any individual. Let them choose their identification. You don't get to choose it for them. Exactly. In the mid-1960s, Joseph Lobdell ended up in an almshouse, which is a 19th century house for the poor. It is not certain why he fell on such hard times at this point, though it does seem that his exposure made it more difficult for him to trade and find safe spaces to hunt. While at the home, Joe met a woman named Mary Louise Perry, and the two fell in love. Mary was a very intelligent woman who had been deserted by her husband and forced into the almshouse because she was unable to support herself. Joe and Mary left the home and began to travel across southern Pennsylvania, working odd jobs and passing as husband and wife. However, by 1871, their secret was outed. As more and more people began to learn that Joe was born a woman, local newspapers published stories either as interesting sidebars or as warnings for the public. One paper wrote, much has been said and written about lately concerning two dilapidated specimens of humanity who have been wandering around through this region of country for nearly three years and who have been representing themselves as man and wife and call themselves Joseph Israel Lobdell and Mrs. Lobdell. As the story caught wind, the term romantic paupers was coined in reference to the pair. The word romantic had been used for nearly a century to describe close friendships, close friendships between two women. This doesn't mean that any physical intimacy was implied, as women were often described as passionless. Gay historian George Chauncey once joked, In the context of female passionlessness, there was no place for lesbianism as it is currently understood. If women could not have even responded with sexual enthusiasm to the advance of men, how could they possibly stimulate sexual excitement between themselves? I mean, if... How they, could they? Right? <laughs> you're, mean, if this, a man doesn't get you going, then what's going to get you going? <laughs> I, I don't know. This man who's 40 years older than you didn't get you excited in the... <laughs> how could that... How, Your father's how? best friend who wants to marry you when you're 16 cannot understand why you're not fascinated by his wrinkled penis. So how could you possibly get excited by another woman? Oh, no, absolutely not. Yeah, there's a lot in this about, like, uh, when you're studying this time period, women are constantly referred to as passionlessness, or they don't have passion. And that's why romantic friendships, there's a lot of romantic friendships. Even in our last episode, we talked about the Wellesley marriages. Oh, yeah. And, and these women were together for, like, 25, 30 years. And people are like, oh, they're just good friends. <laughs> they just live together. They're good friends. They do everything together. Exactly. They're completely committed and devoted they, to each other. They're just they're passionless, so they can't... They're just passionless, so no man will ever excite them. So they just find another woman who they can be passionless with and spend the rest of their life together. Exactly. It was kind of like that. It's like, well, these women just don't want to have sex with anyone, so I guess that's why they're bonding together. Right. And the idea that they could want to have sex with each other, no, no, no. Yeah, so Joe and Mary 
which I had just put together when I had been writing this was Joseph and Mary, kind of like Jesus's parents, Joseph and Mary. Oh, yeah, wow. yeah. So Joe and Mary, um, like, yeah, they they wander all around the Pennsylvania, New York, and just like from one place to another, picking up these odd jobs. They were in a lot of poor houses, I guess there was a term used, almshouses. Um, they just could never, you know, really get um, a footing. And then, then of course, Joe. I don't know how well he was passing, but it wasn't well enough for most people mm-hmm. to mistake him as a man. And at a glance, you would. Right. But when you became when he closer, I mean, he didn't have any hormones. Right. Without hormones, he couldn't grow probably facial hair. Right. And, you know, his voice wouldn't deepen. So, yeah. I mean, he did the best he could, but I'm sure he did better at bars because people were a little drunk. And, yeah. You know, yeah. so finding work through, like, I, I don't really know how, you know, and maybe he, if you met somebody at a bar who needed work done, they were a little bit intoxicated it might be a little bit easier i don't yeah it was hard for him to find work and of course he's still doing his hunting and trapping but you've got to find people that are willing to trade with you you there's a lot of of things involved here and i don't honestly don't know for joe if it was so much about passing i'm sure he would have loved that but i think it he just he wanted to wear men's clothing he wanted to present himself as a man and if people didn't like that or they didn't see him that way that was their fucking problem like he didn't seem hung up on that Mm -hmm. so but in the case of Joseph and Mary, the journalists of the time seemed to realize the two were more than just a couple of good friends. Their affection was often noted as odd or strange. One writer stated they had a mutual affection so strong the two refused to be separated. And finally, the term female husband was used to describe Lobdell. It appeared everyone knew about the true nature of the pair's relationship and there were little consequences, which is pretty incredible. Yeah. Because at that time, like you said, cross-dressing alone was enough to get you arrested. So, I mean, I don't know if maybe they were in a more liberal area at the time or... I think it wasn't... I think what we're going to see and what Joseph Lobdell's case does is it changes... Up until this time, people were just like, ah, this is an odd fellow or that's an odd girl, you know, like... It was just like, this none of my business. Mm-hmm. And then his case becomes so sensationalized that suddenly people start thinking like, well, it has to be our business. It's like conservatives so, today. Yeah, so it, it, you know? it goes from a, everybody do their own thing to now, nope, that's against God, right. so we're exactly. going to make sure we... It's, it turns into a witch hunt, probably. And it turns into, you know, this irrational fear. Well, what if that happens to my child, you know? And, yeah. and like, it's just like, it's a couple people that are very anti-queer coming out and saying we need to make this an issue and the rest of the world is like ah we don't really care and they're like no no we need to care why i didn't get gay married so why can somebody else get gay married (laughs) exactly right (laughs) (laughs) stupid Um, shit people come up with yeah seriously um where was i no yeah while they faced yeah yeah so while they faced brief imprisonments and stays in institutions for the most part Lobdell and Perry were free to roam about New York and Pennsylvania throughout the 1970s. Yeah, there is one case where uh, Joe was imprisoned and Perry um, had to file because he was getting sick and she had to file for him to be released. And But otherwise, like it was usually a night in jail, a uh, slap on the wrist, a, a small fine, which is another thing we put into why are they poor because this, we're about to talk right. about why this was an issue. Then being poor became an issue. But again, Joe can't trade anywhere. He's constantly having to pay fines for cross-dressing and to get out of prison and for meaningless shit. Yep. That's no reason. Uh, that's for, for no reason. And, you know, and that's what trans people face today. Exactly. All these, these fees that we have to pay just to live a life that other people live. Mm-hmm. You know, we've, 
you know, I take away surgeries and, and all the self-affirmation things that we do. You know, we have basic medical needs that we have to take, pay more for. We've got to pay for our name changes. And some places charge exorbitant amounts of money for name changes. I had a friend that came up from Florida, and I think they said they had to pay $400 oh just God. for their name change. And that's not even all, like, going out to change it among. That's just a file to have your name changed. Now, for anybody who's thinking, well, that's your choice. Yeah. Imagine living knowing that you're not how you should be exactly and you can't say that well that's your choice imagine waking up every day and feeling you're not who you are meant to be yeah and knowing that that's hurting you it could really mess with your mental state and Mm -hmm. so while you're saying that these aren't needed needed things they really are and insurance should pay for them no matter where you are or who you are yeah well, because here's... It's interesting because, once again, on Facebook, I had a friend who posted about the high suicide rate in the trans community. And he was asking, why do you think trans people have such a high suicide rate? And, you know, I named the, the regular things about because of a big social rejection, um, our, you know, not being able to have access to medical proper medical needs and he was like yeah but don't you think it's still higher and it seemed like they were edging for me to say because trans people are are mentally unstable yeah that's always exactly and the honest thing is as a trans person you have only two choices you can live in a mental hell where you just constantly deny who you are or you can try to find affirmation and you will have to face a lot of social backlash those are your two choices right neither one is easy it gets easier through time Yes. I believe in being authentic to yourself, but they are not easy choices. And yes, it causes a mental strain because society insists on making it hard whenever you want to just be authentic. Yep. And by the way, if you are facing these issues, you can always talk to us. Um, And if you message us directly on Twitter or anywhere, you Mm -hmm. will get a direct response from one of the two of us. If you'd like more of a community, we do have a support group. Um, but if you just need somebody to talk to, you can always reach out to us. And we have um, resources posted on our social media. We have a trans, actually a specific trans support line. It's by trans people, for trans people. So, um, yeah, we have a lot of resources out there. So please reach out if you need help. Mm-hmm. But in 1977, Joe purchased a few acres of land in Wayne County, Pennsylvania. While it seemed the couple were finally becoming more stable, they were still struggled with finances. At this time, Joe began to call himself Reverend Lobdell and would go from county to county with his wife, preaching incoherent messages and begging for food and money. It really doesn't seem like he had a solid message. Like, he really did seem to be kind of all over the place with his... Now, was he preaching religious things or was he just preaching anything? It was religious, but it was his religion. And it's hard to tell... his own religion? Well, yeah. And that's the thing. Like, I don't know in today's age it might have made sense like just love your common man but everything that i read about from the newspaper articles from personal testimonies was all that it was just this jumbled mess that didn't make sense and it could just be that it didn't make sense with the mainline christianity of the time it probably was more it probably related more towards um I don't know, maybe Buddhism or things like that. Could like have been. find your yeah. find your happiness and be happy because maybe he was trying to be pro like you know, maybe he was trying to spread a message of love and acceptance to try and help. Mm-hmm. He could have been trying to be an activist or he could have just been trying just to make money. Movies. I don't yeah. think there's really any information on what it was. Exactly. There is no information and um 
Another thing is, I mean, anyone would was automatically thrown off by the fact that he was in men's clothing and, and calling himself a man. Because there like was reverend at that. It reverend, right? There were women. There were women preachers at this time, right. but they identified as women. So just mm-hmm. the fact that you go up and you see this guy in men's clothing calling himself a man, and you don't think he's a man, that throws people off, and they are shut down to whatever message you're preaching. So whatever. But he was very. Um, I will say that it seems from the testimony, at least, and we don't know for sure because prejudice and bigotry mm-hmm. could have played a part. It seems that he was very annoying with it. Yeah. So, frankly, it seems that Lobdell's neighbors were much more irritated by the preaching and the begging. Real quick. Sorry. Yeah. Just before we start. It's funny because they're like, oh, my God, this guy's annoying. But the religious people will literally come and knock on your door and try to shove their fucking message down your throat. Right. Stand on street corners, wave signs, protest at funerals, but... But that person who's going around town saying love is okay, which I'm assuming is what's his message. I'm I'm implying that. We're giving him the benefit of the doubt. I'm implying that. He could have been extremely annoying, (laughs) but I'm just going to imply that he was probably going around spreading like love is okay, love is good messages, and they're like... Well, this guy is really fucking annoying. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so it seems that Lobdell's neighbors were much more irritated by the preaching and the begging and not so much bothered by the pair's relationship or that Joe lived as a man. Another nuisance was the fact that Lobdell was a husband who couldn't provide for his wife. So there was a general consensus that if he was going to be a man, then he should be able to fulfill, fulfill his manly duties. But again, as we've stated several times throughout this episode, we must note that Joe's lifestyle did hinder him from getting a steady job, which means the community wouldn't give Joe a way to earn a paycheck, yet they judged him harshly for not being able to earn one. This is extremely similar to how, um, until pretty recently, a lot of employers were extremely prejudiced against transgender individuals, so nobody would hire a transgender Mm -hmm. individual. So they had to result to sex work because they had to live somehow. But then everybody was like, well, if you're transgender, you're just a whore. You're you're a prostitute. You're this or that. But nobody would give them a way to make money. Exactly. Not taking any accountability. Right. How the hell were they supposed to live? Exactly. And I mean, it still is unfortunately a problem today. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, it is getting better. You see a lot of big businesses um, having trans inclusive yes, programs. Trans inclusive programs. They have a whole like you know standard way of how to help your employee mm-hmm. come out as transgender and how to facilitate them and grow them as an individual, yeah. which is extremely great. Um, but unfortunately, that wasn't always the case. So exactly, how were they supposed to live? What are you supposed to do? You, no one will give you a job. No one will trade with Not you. Not even like McDonald's. Like you can't even exactly. go flip burgers, right? Yeah. And so, like in Joe's day, like he can't sell his furs and his meat to anyone because they don't want to trade with the fr- the crazy guy. He can't get a solid job. He can only pick up a couple days work here and there. And um, and so on top of all, and then. And then, but then everybody's judging him. And at this time, there was a shift because up until then, and then, and again, we talked about this last episode about how through the uh, 19th century, Christianity was very much a social, you know, a socialist organization. And then in the at the towards the end, in the turn of the 20th century, poverty poverty began to shift from a pitied state to a vilified state. With the rise of capitalism, those who were poor were now seen as lazy scum, regardless of their situation or experience. So, in 1880, Joseph's own brother ordered that Joe be tried in an insanity hearing in Delaware County, New York. Fourteen men testified that Lobdell was set of unsound mind. Neighbor Harry Walsh said, She is insane without doubt and incapable of governing herself or of managing her property. 
Others testified that they found Joe intelligent, but his desire to wear men's clothing and his lifestyle were what made him insane. In 1881, Joseph Lobdell was involuntarily committed to the Willard Psychiatric Center, and he would spend the rest of his life in the institution. While at Willard, Lobdell was placed under the care of sexologist P.M. Wise. Wise was a passionate student of the study of inversion theory, and it was Lobdell's case that solidified him in medical history. Not for any good reasons, but he did create an unintended awareness of lesbians and transgender individuals. In fact, Wise was the first person to put the word lesbian into a medical journal. For this reason, some lesbians have tried to claim Joe for their own. Yet, as we have stated, Joseph demanded for most of his life he was a man, despite harsh backlash. So this is something that you see repeat itself in history time and time and time and time and time again. The queer community gets put under, um, goes underground because of societal, you know, yep. disagreements. Mm-hmm. disagreements. Um, the queer community continues to disappear. And then, you know, it'll be unheard of for like a generation. Then suddenly somebody publishes something anti-gay, anti-queer. Yeah. And then all of the underground people who have been thinking there's something wrong with them, they're like, wait, I'm not the only one. Exactly. And then they, like, have an uprising because they're like, well, if I'm not the only one, who else Who else is? Exactly. And then they meet each other, you know, small communities form, and then we come out and are proud as we are today. So keep trying, motherfuckers. That's right. We keep coming back. <laughs> right. Anytime, even though these, um, these issues weren't written in a positive light, it still created an awareness. You could still have something tangible that you could read and say, there is someone like me. Maybe everyone thought they were crazy, but at least I'm not alone. Right, exactly. And of course, and for Lucy and for the narrative that Joe wrote as Lucy Ann Slater, that showed women, first of all, that women could be powerful and and claim their own self. They Um, didn't have to just cook and clean. Exactly. They could, they could reclaim, you know, who they were, a place in society. And, um, you know, it also showed, you know, in the narrative, Lucy or Joe writes that he wears men's clothing. He even writes about how he like shifted and started wearing the men's clothing. But again, showing that women could wear what they wanted, or you don't have to be binary. These are all issues that Lobdell's case created an awareness. Yep. So Dr. Wise uh, was obsessed and repulsed by Lobdell. He referred to Joe as a deviant with a mental disease. According to Wise, Joe had a maniacal attack which landed Lobdell into the institution. However, we could find no other mention of Lobdell ever attacking anyone. It is clear that the doctor's skewed perception of Joe caused him to present a distorted picture of Lobdell. He was very thorough in his questioning of Joe and Mary's relationship. The following was recorded from his questions to Lobdell. It appears that she made frequent attempts at sexual intercourse with her companion and believed them successful. That she believed herself to possess virility and the copitation of a male. That she had not consummated with her husband, but with her late companion, nuptial satisfaction was complete. So he's like, how? He's like, this woman thinks that she's had sex, but she doesn't have a penis, so there's no way she had sex. Exactly. And also talking about orgasm. Of course, obviously the two consummated their marriage and that they had sex because they had a kid. But Joe just made it clear that he never got aroused or got off from his husband. And Lobdell was just shocked that Joe could possibly think he could have sex with a man or a woman. Right. Right. So during an examination of Joe, the doctor noted a peculiar organ. This suggests that Lobdell may have been intersex. 
Information on intersex individuals breaks off sharply at the turn of the 20th century. Whereas before we had records of hermaphrodites, an offensive and inappropriate word today, just so our listeners know. With the emergence of the study of homosexuality, all queer people were lumped under this umbrella term. For almost 100 years, we see countless cases of bisexuals, transgender folk, and intersex individuals all lumped in with the gays. This can make accurate research difficult at times. Once again, we cannot fully say what label Joe would have felt comfortable taking today, but we do know that he was as queer as they come. Take people's fucking words. When they tell them, tell you who they are, just take it and be grateful that they uh, took time to out themselves to you if they chose to, because that was their choice. That is not your right. So, in 1883, we saw the release of Wise's journal, A Case of Sexual Perversion, in the Wapun Times. Joseph Lobdell's story once again erupted on the national scene. As we mentioned earlier, Joe's study was one of the first studies on sexual inversion in women, and one of the first studies to detail an affair between two women, or at least what appeared to be two women. While the article sparked much conversation, little of it was kind. Lobdell was seen as a very sick individual and a danger to society. Indeed, Wise had marked, had marked written, that Joe had threatened the lives of his companions and himself. Whether this was through physical attacks or merely the societal threat of his lifestyle, we do not know. I don't, I didn't see anything about him being like a violent individual. No. I, I mean, it was probably just like a, no, he's threatening the, he's threatening our life with his non-Christian beliefs. Exactly, yeah. Like, Wise, Wise says that Joe, Joe threatened the lives of his companions, but there doesn't, there's no other information. This is all Wise. There, yeah, and, nowhere. And this is what we said. Wise tended, and when you read the case of sexual perversion, which we will, like I said, we'll put a link to, you could see the man's just like, just like adding to his story, like just making it more sensational. He wants to become the next viral superstar of, of the his time. time. You know, it, he just he's or he's at least at the very least drawing his own conclusions, which yes. you don't do as a doctor. No. Like you, you can say this is what appears to be, but he's. I mean, drawing his own conclusions. I mean, he's completely making shit up. Of oh, Joe probably was violent, but right. but no, but no actual stories or evidence to support that. Exactly. He has this mental disorder that makes him feel like he's not a straight woman. Mm -hmm. So obviously he must be also violent because exactly. that's something that's associated with mental disorder. Exactly. Kind of situation, basically. Right. So the next 10 years are broke up into brief notes in the logbook of Lobdell's medical file. It seems that he was diagnosed with dementia at some point. This could account for the several notes about him being dirty, wet, and excited. There are notes of his so-called sexual perversion arising. In June of 1885, the note states, Transfer today to DB4. Has slept in dormitory, but on account of erotic tendencies, needs a single room at times. The final note is written on May 19th, 1890, and simply says, Continues in good bodily health. Has improved somewhat and says, She has gotten over her old ideas. Has been quiet and orderly for some months past. Joe died shortly after this final log was recorded. He had been at Willard for nine years. Yeah, so it's a little sad. It's like the last decade of his life, there's almost nothing on him. Like I said, there's about two sentences every year when they just check in. And, and you know, you see him, like, start to fade, whereas, you know, still insist that he's a man, still uh, continue with the sexual perversion, and then by the end, uh, you know, she's given up her old ideas. We finally won. You know, basically, you just wore a person down, keeping them in a mental institution for nine years. Locked away for, exactly. Yeah, took away everything that they loved, cut them off from the outside world, um, and then, you know, de uh, declared victory. 
As for the other people in Joseph's life, his daughter Helen also suffered some awful luck. As a young woman, she was pursued by a man named Kent, but she was not interested and repeatedly refused his advances. One night in August of 1877, Kent kidnapped her, raped and beat her, and threw her assumed lifeless body into the Delaware River. However, Helen washed ashore and was brought back to life by another gentleman. The extreme abuse she suffered caused severe mental trauma, and for a few years she was put into an asylum. Go figure. Eventually, she was able to recover somewhat and went on to have a happy marriage and an otherwise normal life. Kent was arrested after she came out of the asylum. She turned him in and he was arrested um, for his attempted murder. However, on his way to prison, he escaped and was never heard from again. So hopefully he fell into a ravine and died. Or hopefully he was raped by someone and thrown into a fucking ravine. Jesus. I know, right? She's like, no, really, I don't want to be with you. And he's like, all right, well, we'll we'll see about that, honey. And again, back to that point we made earlier. Yeah, rape was still present at the time. Just because religion was strong doesn't mean that... uh, Right. They they practiced their ways. Evil has always persisted. Yes. Yeah. So there is no record we could find of what happened to Joe's wife, Mary. The two had been together for 12 years before Lobdell was committed. While their story is sad, particularly for Joe, it did yield strong visibility to the queer community. It is interesting to remember how Lobdell's neighbors responded to his transgender lifestyle. Most had no problem. It wasn't until a mob mentality was stirred against the poor man that anyone seemed to care who he loved and how he dressed. This is why it is important how we treat minorities. Because of a vindictive brother, Joseph Lobdell spent the last decade of his life in a mental institution. Perhaps he would have ended up there anyway if he truly did have dementia. But we will never know. This vibrant author was never given the chance to write an ending to his own story. That is Joseph Lobdell. And like I said, we're going to put a lot of links so you can read uh, his story in his own words, at least for the first half of his life through 1855. And you can read um, the case of sexual perversion to see Dr. P.M. Wise's account of Joseph Lobdell. Uh, so, I mean, there's a lot of good information up until the end of his life, you know. Yep. Yeah. And unfortunately, like we said, he was just locked away and he, that was it. And faded away. You I know? wonder if he, like, wrote things while he was in there. And I they were just yeah. taken and burned. Or, and they were just like, all oh, these incoherent writings. Or maybe they were filed somewhere and maybe they still maybe. exist. I don't know. I couldn't find any. But... Um, if any of you know any more information, or yes. you're, if you're able to dig up any information on uh, his time in the institution, uh, maybe there's archives somewhere that we weren't yeah. able to find, or um, if you live nearby and could stop in, I don't, I doubt they released them, but maybe you never <laughs> know. Maybe I don't know. I know some people are trying to access some things, but yeah, anything else we could have, because he was a writer and he was very good. It, yeah. I mean, when I was reading his story, I was pretty intrigued. Um but uh, but what's important is that the case for sexual perversion written by Dr. P.M. Wise was used to, like, Joe was used as a measuring stick from that point on as far as, like, where someone fell on the scale of, like, of sexual perversion. Right. And there were, like, four categories, and Joe was the furthest, where you th- actually think you're a man. So it went from, like, I'm kind of attracted to women to you think you're a man and you want right. to be one. You know, and so, but this would be used by doctors for, like, almost the next 50 years mm-hmm. all right so uh, anyways thank you for listening we hope that you enjoyed it um if anybody has recommendations i mean we have a lot of uh we have a lot of topics listed don't wor- listed for us to cover don't worry we're not running out of material but if you have something you'd like us to cover feel free to reach out i've got some i got some new books at the trans 
wellness conference and so I'm excited to use those. One of them is our recommended resource for today and one of the main texts, probably the main um, text for this episode. It is called True Sex by Emily Skidmore. It is about trans, the lives of transgender men at the turn of the 20th century. And the other recommended resource, because we're talking about trans issues, is GenderCat. GenderCat.com. This is for um, transgender prosthetics. And if you don't know what that is, that is uh, extra body parts that we use so that we can feel affirmed, such as packers, breasts, um, nipples. Uh, there's actually a lot of people don't know that trans guys, whenever they get surgeries, a lot of times they can't afford to get nipples. So they're just nippleless on their on their chest, and so there's there's nipples, there's all kinds of great stuff, and it's really great uh, material. Like I felt this stuff, I played with it, I met the people that create it. They are a wonderful group based out of New York. It is fantastic prosthetics. If you want some great stuff, if you're tired of your crappy twenty dollar packer that falls out of your pants every time you go to the bathroom, they have amazing stuff. It's self adhesive. It looks natural. It feels great. So um, that's my recommended recommendation. Again, gendercat.com. Check them out. Yep. And again, you can follow us on any social media, literally, at Your Queer Story. Um, if you want to reach out to us directly, Twitter will be the best platform for that. If you want to learn stories of individuals in your community, you can check us out on Instagram. Pinterest has a ton of information, resources. Um, I mean, I even have a back-to-school board on there that's filled with, like, rainbow backpacks and rainbow shoes. Um, nice. Get up. Exactly. And, again, on Facebook, we have our business information and our support group. So, mm -hmm. wherever, whatever you're looking for, we have something for you. And we will also be at Worcester Mass Pride on September 8th. Um, so if you live in the New on the East Coast, New England area, you can stop by and check us out. We'll have a booth. We'll be playing um, an episode that we pre-recorded. Uh, initially, we did want to do a live podcast, but due to the nature of Pride, that's not something we can really do. Yeah. Um, but we will definitely be providing some information. We'll be there in person to talk to you, to yes. um, interview you, to take your stories, and uh, to share some queer love. Exactly. Yeah. Come get your picture. We'll take your picture. We get your story and we'll put it on our Instagram wall and wherever else. So we're really looking for that. So stay queer. Don't get a lobotomy. And, um. Okay. Bye. Okay. Bye, Christians. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe and review wherever you are listening and follow us on social media at Your Queer Story. Like what you heard? Want to share your story? Send us a voice message to add to the podcast from the Anchor app or at anchor.fm slash yourqueerstory. And if you would like to support the work we do or get exclusive content, check us out on patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. See you next week. Bye. Bye.